and the United States goes two and oh, dos a zero against Mexico in the Cup Finals this summer. Welcome to episode ninety of Did Someone Say Soccer? I'm your host Nate, and I got the homie Angelito and Mr. Suave himself, Rico. Say what up, boys? What's up, world? That's right, guys. We are at episode 90, 10 away from that one double zero. We are working with Foot Kvalter, and we're going to get a nasty jersey on the way for that 100th episode. We have a special guest with us today, but starting today for the next 10 episodes, we are going to have a special guest with us, and today we have Mr. Owen with us. Owen, tell the audience who you are, what you do, and who your favorite teams are. Hey everyone, I'm Owen Diana, uh, at 4KicksBlog on Twitter. I'm a journalist that covers mostly Mexican soccer, some Italian soccer as well for FootMex Nation and Football Italia. Also do a lot of videos on Liga MX, Mexican soccer in general, national team, etc. I'm on Twitter. My favorite teams, I mean, I love Liga MX, that's my favorite league for sure, but my it would be more team. I'm a really big Arsenal fan. It's hard for me to have another. There are teams that I that I have a soft spot for outside of Arsenal. A few Italian teams, Fiorentina, Napoli, um, for example. Um, but Arsenal are the team that are that are really in my heart. My boy, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Didn't even know he was an Arsenal fan. You're always welcome to come talk with us. <laughs> All right, guys, so this is how the episode will go down. We're going to talk the Gold Cup. We're going to talk the semifinals of the Olympics. And we're going to talk some Serie A with Owen. And we cannot forget about Angelito's Taco Shop. So, guys, Gold Cup. The United States pulled through, got that 1-0 victory with three minutes left in extra time. Owen, what stood out to you the most? I think the the big worry, um, or the thing that's that stood out, let's say, um, the the difference in experience between the two teams and the fact that Mexico couldn't make that tell, right? Mexico has seven players who carried over from the Nations League final starting eleven um, in Las Vegas, and the United States had one in Kellen Acosta. If you extend that to the squads, Mexico has 13 players from that Nations League group. If you include um, Jonathan Dos Santos and Eric Gutierrez, it's really 15. They both dropped out with injury. Meanwhile, with the United States, it's four. So there's a pretty stark difference there. Um, Obviously losing a second final this summer to the United States, I think, again, to a United States, really more of a C team. considering that a lot of, you know, the, the Nations League substitutes were not even really um, in the Gold Cup. And I think this idea that the problems that have started to appear over the last few months for Mexico aren't being resolved, um, and they, they seem to be getting worse in certain cases, um, missing chances up front, either being up front, either being profligate or struggling to create chances, right? I think you have to take into account with this Gold Cup, the, the well, relatively low level of competition or poor level. Um, before this Gold Cup, 
um, outside of the Nations League final, Mexico is struggling to create chances, right? And then defensively, individual weaknesses there, a lot of individual errors. Um, still, you know, Chaka and, and Jesus Gallardo are two of the most used players um, during Martino's regime, but I think the jury's still out potentially on both of them. I don't think they really convince. Salcedo at center back um, is is a roller coaster ride. Um, Hector Moreno coming off an injury and and being basically parked on the bench at Algarafa and then without a club, you know, now is now joining Monterey. So there's a lot of uncertainty defensively as well, right? Um, those problems aren't being resolved. We didn't see them being resolved during this Gold Cup. I don't think Mexico are closer to solving either of those problems. And and then the set pieces too, right? The the Americans' four goals against the United States this summer all came on set pieces. Um, I think it's worrying in the in the Nations League final. Both of the both of the goals off corners are are basically carbon copies, right? I mean, they're from two different sides, but it's McKenney winning a header, right? Um, then in this game, in in this Gold Cup final, the great ball in from Acosta and and the goal from Robinson. But if you look, that play happened about. 15 minutes before the end of regular time, the same play, same spot, same delivery from Acosta, Mexico don't learn the lesson, right? Mm -hmm. That almost ends up in a goal. Talavera makes a great save. So I think, you know, getting a little long here, I think with, with, with my points, but that's something, for example, I think there are some things where you can't really blame Tata for, right? Like the, the subs, the, the, the bench he had for this gold cup, considering you also have the Olympics, I don't think you can really blame him for having to bring on a Pizarro. There's not, there's not many other options in that gold cup squad that he called up, right? What you can blame him for or, or criticize him for is something like set pieces, right? That that's a coach's job. A coach needs to be able to resolve that. So there's definitely now the heat has turned up on Tata and we'll see how that plays itself out during world cup qualifiers. When with a couple of bad results to start the world cup qualifiers, he'd really be on the hot seat. Angel, your man, Pizarro, came in. What happened? I don't know. He He's, like like Owen said, they, they don't have a lot of depth, and being that both tournaments are going on at the same time, they had to pick and choose the players they were taking. Pizarro, he's been, he's been pretty mediocre, and he's gone downhill for a while. We've seen that his skills are not what they used to be, or maybe he was overhyped, whatever. He didn't really do much when he would come on. And we we would watch the games together, and we would text each other like, oh, here comes Pizarro, Let, you know, they're going to start sucking now. But at that point, it's <laughs> like, they're so tired. Uh, they, they had to make those substitutions, and... It's embarrassing that they could they can't even do it when we know the US didn't send their best players. I, I was just disappointed that it was enough, it was again late in the game, so they couldn't really do much once they got scored on. It was another set piece, horrible defending. I mean, he expected them to get better and now it's now it comes to like um now I'm thinking like if Tata is, is the manager, like is he picking the best players or, you know, um, is it time to call back Chicharito or some of the older guys that actually score, even though 
they're more like um, they're just always open. They're they're right there where they need to be. Pizarro seems lost at times, so I don't know. It's it's we got to wait and see once the qualifiers come. And like Owen said, if if they suck at the beginning, it, it's time to give it a tata and find someone else that's gonna change the the players and the formations around. Rico, you watched the game. You're anti-Mexico. What stood out to you about the United States? Okay, first off, I'm not anti-Mexico. I'm just pro-USA. At the same time, I'm very anti-Mexico. All right, so first, first things first, though, let me say, Owen, hey, Big O, thanks for, thanks for being on the show, man. Glad to have you. No problem. Uh, nice to you. My my breakdown. I mean, this is a good team. I, I feel like they have they have a lot of energy. Certainly, a lot of charisma. Uh, I will say that Zardes is a bump. I don't like Zardes. I really, honestly, don't feel he fits into the uh, to the national team anymore. Anyway, but who's better than uh, him right now? I don't. Well, think... I just feel like we should give. I feel like we should give someone else a try. I mean, like, can we actually say it's not so much a being better but like you can at least make a lateral move because Zardes has actually been trying uh, in my case trying to prove himself uh tournament after tournament with the U.S. and and it, even if it's if it's not Zardes then they try somebody else they tried like what was it they tried Bobby Wood right and if they didn't try if they didn't try Bobby Wood they went they tried again with uh Josie Altidore so uh, I don't know. I just feel like at this point they should just chop it up as a loss with with having Zardes be this uh, this would be striker, this would be goal uh, goal scorer for the U.S. I mean, he certainly puts on for his team in the MLS. I mean, he does fine, but I mean, at, at this national level, it's a completely different animal, especially so nearing to the World Cup. Uh, but as far as the the game itself goes. Ariola definitely definitely played in true fashion. Would you say? Actually, let me get a, a a little a little yay or nay. Would you guys say Ariola did his job as a captain for this tournament? Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> I think that yay. They ended up winning the tournament, right? Yeah. True. True. Uh, but he missed that sitter. He sh- because- United States should have been up one nil going into halftime. He had that open sitter. And he couldn't put it away. I mean, when we can get a goal, we can get a goal. But he's not the player that USA is like, this is our guy for scoring. Whereas they're trying to do that with Zardes. Like, this is, and he's not. We need a guy that actually fits that bill, especially nearing into the World Cup. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to have uh, our random our random uh, players for the U.S. score uh, big profile goals. So, in the game, it's... I, I really I really enjoyed US all all together. I just wanted to get a yay out of Ariola because he's a DC United player at DC United all way, all day since we like talking MLS every now and again. Just wanted to fit that plug. All right. I'm gonna talk you wanna talk Zards, that's fine. We'll talk some Zards. So the MO for this United States team was gritty, was put the trash in, get a goal however way that they can. And that's the way they played all tournament. And that's the way Zardes is for um, the Columbus crew. He isn't your flashy forward. He isn't going to go out and put nasty goals in. He's going to be in there. He's going to clean up trash. Just like Jordan likes to say, he's out there. He's 
the buffet line's ready to eat for him. And he he fits that mold perfectly for the United States because he's just going to be in there and he's just going to eat the trash and put away the goal. And sometimes you need an assassin like that. You need someone that's going to put that away. And you don't have to be flashy. You don't have to be Ronaldinho out there. You just got to put the ball away. Um, honestly, I think the death chart right now, he's leading the pack. Uh, and going into going into the World Cup qualifiers, I think that he could, if he's not in form, then somebody else could get a shot. But if he's scoring goals for the Columbus crew, there should be no reason why he's not out there starting. Just like Turner. I think Turner solidified himself as the number one keeper for the United States in this tournament. You want to say Zach Steffens is the number one goalie, but how can you have a goalie start when he's not even getting time for his club? If he wants to be the number one keeper, he should go out there and ask for a loan or pray to God that Emerson gets hurt so that he can get playing time. And when he was out there for the Nations Cup, he didn't. He looked shaky to me. He wasn't out there um, balling out like he usually is. And I think that comes down to him not having the game time experience. But for Mexico, what worried me was Tecatito. I expected so much more out of him. I mean, when he's... I don't know if it was when... Uh, Chucky Lozano got hurt and maybe that killed him, killed his confidence. Maybe he didn't want to be there after that. But I would have thought that when Chucky went down, he's he would have been like, all right, let's take over. Let's get this. But he was nowhere to be found. It was like when he did take someone on in the final, he went right past him. But then he came right back and it was little pass here, a little pass there. But I wanted to see a Tecatito that we know, that we see in Porto, and I wanted to see goals from him. And it was very disappointing to see that from him. Uh, Funes Mori, uh, I was impressed with him, you know, uh, for putting on the the Mexico um, shirt for the first time. And... Uh, Having all the pressure because I'll, I'll tell you right now, a lot of people did not want him on the national team. They didn't want this uh, Argentina, uh, Argentine out there playing for uh, Mexico. But he had a good tournament. But the only thing is that he didn't finish his opportunities. And I, Tata may have left him in there too long because... I don't know if it was that Tata left him in there too long or if he didn't have the confidence in Polito to go out there and play. Because when he put Polito out there, it was just too late. He couldn't get anything going. He was, everyone was tired. And it, I don't know, it, it's very disappointing to see Mexico lose this match. If Tata has to go, who do you guys think is going to take his spot? Well, I I don't even think that's a discussion you can have precisely because I don't think there's a clear candidate right now. I don't think there's there's not someone who's waiting in the wings if Tata stumbles here. I think that's part of the reason why you know that's been that's been mentioned right. Um, 
in a lot of these discussions that are that are happening within the Mexican media, who would actually replace him? I think it's too early to think that he he'd be let go. I think he'd need at least a couple of bad results in the World Cup qualifiers. And at that point, candidates will start, you know, coming to the fore, right? We'll we'll probably start being named, but but right now there's no one who's being mentioned. Um there's no one in Mexico, you know, Jaime Lozano is probably the one who's been who's been mentioned in passing, right? But and he, he has looked he has done really well with the Olympic team, right? But you look at his Liga MX experience or his club coaching experience. He had a brief spell at Quetro three, four years ago, unsuccessful spell, or certainly nothing to write home about, right? So he's he's a coach with with little to no club experience, right? Who got this um, Olympic job. It's a lot different coaching the Olympic team than it is obviously coaching the Mexican national team, right? So I don't see anyone who's put their, you know, who's, who's first of all, trying to put their name out for the job, right? And trying to put pressure there. But beyond that, I don't see anyone who's a realistic candidate at this moment. Angel, if Tata just got sacked, who's the first person you're going to hire? We, we've talked about this already a couple times, and uh, I, I believe that it's going to take a lot of bad results to get Tata fired. But we've um, we've discussed that it could be Almeida. He, he wants to be part of the, you know, the he, he felt it was just so bad the way to let him go. And I think he wants to be part of, you know, he's Argentinian too, and he wants to be part of that Mexican atmosphere. He, he loves Mexicans and he did really well with Chivas because let's face it, they they were horrible for years, and since he's been gone, they've been terrible. So I can see him being available, especially because um, you know he he would want it. And I think that the MLS thing is just you know it's not really going for him, well for him, and he would be willing to leave that for a Mexico national team coaching position. I think that's a good. That's a good shout. I think he had mentioned, I believe, when he was at Chivas that he had a, or with Chivas and then with subsequent teams, he, I, I think he's declared this before, that he puts a clause in his contract, an exit clause for the Argentinian national team and the Mexican national team, right? So I think if the job became available, he would be he would be a good candidate, potentially. I think I like that. that uh, that idea, if it, if it were to come to that, but I I agree with you, Angel. I don't think I, I don't think the the FMF are are gonna be trigger happy here. I think it's gonna take Mexico's World Cup qualifying, you know, campaign, you know, their their hopes of making it to Qatar, the you know the the path to Qatar really starting to become difficult, starting to look like maybe they won't qualify. I think for for Tata to be absent. Oh, and do you care if I cuss or no? Or no, go ahead. Okay. It's your it's your podcast. Okay. I'm just living it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, I got I got something to get off my chest. So this game ended at eleven thirty, eleven forty five Eastern time, right? And my friends know that I have to keep my phone on because I have to keep I have to make sure I have to be on call most of the time at night. So, what happens? 
United States wins and my phone is blowing up all the way to 3 a.m. A motherfucker does not forget shit like this, guys. You guys want to talk shit? All right, it is on. So when Mexico takes it to the United States and Cincinnati, you guys aren't going to sleep all weekend. I'll make sure of that. These guys went as far to send me a suicide hotline just in case I needed it <laughs> after this game. One guy even sent me a therapist, a local therapist, in case I needed to talk about this game. It's on, guys. I don't forget. All right. Well, I'm, so I'm glad I didn't hit you up. I'm glad I didn't hit you up after that game. <laughs> All right, so let's talk some uh, men's Olympics U23 semifinals. Brazil, Mexico, 4 a.m. I got up. I know Owen got up. Angel was up just to watch Brazil dominate this entire match and to win in penalties. Ay, ay, ay. Angel, what was going on? Oh, so for me, it was one a. It was one a.m., so it wasn't too late for me. Um, I was excited for the game. Mexico was looking good. I was like, "All right, there's always that chance." I mean, I, I can see Brazil, you know, making a mistake. Mexico capitalizes. They they hold the the lead. They win. Whatever. I knew it was going to be a close game, but it pissed me off the way that they lost at the end because. For us that saw the game, we saw that one header where he hit the post. And I know that from when I saw it, I thought that was going to bounce in, even though it hit the post. And I was like, oh, shit, it didn't go in. I was excited. I was like, all right, we're going to go to penalties. We have a chance. The penalty started, and Mexico's first penalty was awful. I was like, why is he going so far back? He ran <laughs> quite a bit, and he hits it so soft. The goalie had it easy so i was just like wow that's it I, as soon as he blocked that i knew it was over because it's like memo touched the ball when i think alvis shot it and it he didn't stop it and just the way he shot that first penalty i was like it's gonna get in their head and they're gonna they're gonna make more mistakes they're gonna get nervous second one you know was pretty bad too hit the outside of the pole that's it. The, the placement of the Brazilian sh uh, penalty kick was beautiful. It had uh, power too, so Memo couldn't get to it, even though like the first three, he was close to stopping all of them. But they had so much power that, I mean, it wasn't going to stop it. And um, it was just, it was embarrassing to lose like that. But it was a, it wasn't a shocker. Mexico didn't had what one good opportunity in the second half and they had probably like three or four good ones in the first half they were exhausted by that point they were running around couldn't control the ball every time they tried to dribble they would lose it um i don't know i, I thought that they would do a little better maybe the name like brazil it just got to them like they were so nervous or you know, having to live up to the 2012 team that beat what I feel is a much better Brazilian team back then. But whatever happened, uh, like I said, 
they were exhausted by the time Linus went in there. He was the only one running around. Nobody could keep up. Like, no one would run with him. They were all tired. It, it was just a, a bad game. And I was like, man, I stayed up an extra 30 minutes to see this loss. Now I got to sleep less. But I don't know. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was a, you know, it's definitely not, it's definitely not good to, to go out of gold medal contention with the way the penalties went down, right? But I don't think that, I think saying that Brazil dominated, I think would be a little bit strong of a, of a term, right? I think Brazil had more of the ball. I think, I think the one thing when you you can really criticize Mexico for in this match, or, or certainly, um, pick out a little bit is the inability to really keep the ball meaningfully during the match. I think part of that was tactically, right? Was tactical, right? I mean, you, you're playing Antuna instead of Linez. Antuna's really a player that's set up for the counterattack, right? Whereas Linez, Linez has, has athleticism, has speed as well. But if you're trying to keep the ball a little bit more, he's a player that lends himself a lot more to that type of style, right? So Mexico are, are setting their stall out to sit back a little bit and hit on the counterattack. And they do have some chances in the first half. At the end of the first half, they have a couple. One with Antuna where he, he takes the touch, gets the shot past the keeper. The defender saves it just, you know, a few feet off the line, right? If Antuna maybe tries to hit that cross first time and makes a good connection, that's a goal, right? Mexico then take the lead before halftime. You say, wow, this is this was the perfect setup, right? This was the perfect tactical plan to play Brazil. And I think Mexico definitely tired out, like you were saying, on help towards, you know, as the match progressed, right? But I didn't see Brazil, you know, the the header from Richarlison, I believe, that strikes the inside of the post. You know, they have they have other threatening moments, but they weren't beating the door down, right, with pressure. It wasn't like, okay, a goal is coming. I think Mexico did pretty well to keep them at arm's length, right? I think, you know, one again, the one thing where you could you could criticize a little bit is, okay, what if you had started Linus maybe, right? You try to keep the ball a, a bit more. Um, I don't I don't think you can get mad at the big the big um, you know I think a lot of people thought okay, Antuna is going to start again, right? After starting against South Africa and then South Korea, I think the bigger question in terms of personnel was what um what is Lozano going to do in midfield right is he going to stick with Esquivel or is he going to bring Charlie back after he's served his one game suspension I'm not um I don't think it's I don't think you can criticize continuing with Esquivel given that it frees up Roma a little bit more right and we saw how effective that was against South Korea um, I think it also gives you some flexibility there in midfield too, if you want to play this more defensive style, because Romo is a player who's played a lot as a six, right? He's he's maybe not best as a six, but he's played a lot as a six. I mean, at, at Queretaro, before joining Cruz Azul, he was a center back a lot of times, right? So he's someone who's used, who, who knows how to defend, right? And can defend well. Um, so having him kind of also being able to play next to Esquivel, it gives you a little bit of flexibility there. I don't think that's that was a bad decision, even though Charlie does come on for Esquivel at halftime, right? Um, so I think, you know, Mexico get it to penalties, I think, at the end of the day, relatively, you know, not comfortably, right? There were obviously some difficult moments there, but without suffering as much as they could have. Um, 
as you as you're saying, Noanhela, I mean this this Brazil team is a good team, and they do have some um, some standout players for sure. But it's you know even if Mexico had won this game, right? I think then the discussion would be, wow. I mean, is this you know how does this compare to 2012? I don't think you can compare it because that Brazil team, even beyond Neymar, you have a Marcelo, you have a Thiago Silva in that team. I mean, you have some you have Alexandro in that team right some players who have gone on to be international stars who have you know gone from u23 level from youth level to you know playing at the biggest clubs in the world and be, and being you know world-class players right i think this brazil team i mean we'll see maybe in five or ten years we're saying the same thing but for now um that's not the case what'd you think rico what I do like out of that, I, I do like that Brazil were able to ultimately keep their composure and um, finish it out in PKs. Interestingly enough, for me, both of the sides decided to play with a four, with a four-two-three-one, yeah, uh, formation. So pretty much they're playing each other's counterattack. To that end, I do like that Brazilians counter though actually started in your when you're playing a, a more defensive game. With a more uh, heavier, heavier defensive side, your counterattacks should always start within your defensive third, and I feel like that also got them uh, this sixty-seven, sixty-seven percent stat uh, that they have as far as keeping the ball. Uh, with their with their actual players, uh, a, a key standout. I don't know. For me, for me, Richarlson, I, I feel like is is coming into his own a little bit for for Brazil. I just feel like he needs to give give way more if he's to be if he's to be like a a, a key integral part in Brazil's future. Danny Alves, I did appreciate his contribution as far as Mexico goes. Uh, Diego Linus. Uh, I mean, I, you you know I me, mean Nate. Now I don't I don't really I don't really have with Mexico, but I am fan of Diego Lina. He is a good player. I do like I do like his his flair, his zeal, if you will, uh, for his contributions to to Mexico to the Mexican side. So uh, all in all, I feel like again, if if this Mexican team is to is to advance and not have just kind of a a remnants of what the 2012 what was it uh, Angel the 2012 Olympic final right in in london uh, i definitely feel like yeah i definitely feel like they're gonna need uh, need a little bit more uh a little bit more oomph coming from their players and also that that uh that player morale to be more more in a harmonious sync so that they can actually have an, an effective collective uh ball handle i guess you should say so that they actually keep the ball and not have this stat read at uh 33 percent in their future this was a chance for henry martin to solidify himself as the number one going into the world cup qualifiers and he just laid a big fat goose egg uh i don't know if it was uh too many long balls that just didn't work out well and he was just being man marked enough and i felt i i said something to angel i i feel like he needs to Receive the ball, check back, receive the ball, and just hold for a couple seconds and allow the attack to go with him instead of trying to get that long ball and let him go by himself. And uh, Cordova, man, I I need consistency from you, bro. Uh, you 
last game you were on fire. This game where you get subbed off by the 65th minute, it's it has to be. It's it's never in between. It's either one or the other with him. And I feel like he is a key part of Mexico's future. And I want to see him playing with big clubs in Europe and uh, flourishing out there. I want to see. I hope he has a better uh, a better season with America now that he's now that he's going to be wearing that ten jersey. And uh, same thing with Vega. Uh, great tournament, just didn't show up. Uh, in the against uh, Brazil, I, I expected better from these guys, and it may have been too big of a game for them. Uh, let's go into Spain, Japan. Asensio takes over for Spain and sends them to the gold medal match. What are our thoughts on this match, Owen? I think it's a little bit of redemption for Asensio, certainly, right, on a personal level. Um, been criticized throughout the tournament. Um, I think you have to keep in mind within his trajectory that really serious injury he suffered a few years ago, right, kind of stunt, stunted his development. Um, and we'll see. I don't. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a starter now. I don't think he's necessarily earned himself a starting spot for the final, but having a player of that quality um, to come off the bench for you, I think that that really demonstrates the level of quality Spain have in that Olympic side. So many carryovers from the Euro 2020 team, a team that gave the eventual champions all they could handle and a little bit more, right? I think Italy were, were outplayed in that match, right? And, and Spain bring a lot of those players even some starters from from those important Euro matches into this Olympics, right? Um, obviously, um, lack of rest, I think, is a factor, certainly, with someone like Pedri, that famous photo from uh, the first group stage game against Egypt when he, he looks haggard, right? And, you know, he looks um, completely gassed before the matches even started, right? Um, but I think, you know, they... It hasn't been an easy road to the final for for Spain. You think in the quarterfinal, they probably should go out to the Ivory Coast. I mean, the the way they score the equalizer is in in stoppage time in the second half is truly incredible. If you look at the defending from the Ivory Coast, right, and then some of the defending also on the subsequent goals um, that Spain get in extra time, right. I mean, the the most deceptive five two you'll ever see, right, in that quarterfinal. Um, so it, it hasn't been easy for them, um, but they're there in the final. And I think just, just with the quality they have in that team, I think they have to be the favorite, right? Because if they, you know, if they put it together for one match, if they, you know, can up the level a little bit, I mean, what, what they've shown has gotten them to the final, right? Scraping by at times. Um, I think they're, they're the favorite for sure. Angel. Who do you have winning the gold medal match, Brazil or Espana? I'm going to have to say uh, Spain is going to edge by. It's going to be a close game. Like We, we know both teams are, are, are really well, doing really well right now. They're not, you know, wowing us. They're like Owen said, they're scraping by. They're winning. But 
I'm surprised that Spain beat this Japanese team because this Japan team was very strong. When we saw them play against Mexico, they're very fast, well-organized. They, they know how to counter. They did everything really well. And I did not see Spain beating them. My, my whole thought was, oh, it's going to be Japan versus Brazil in the final. Um, we saw this the the Japan Spain game go you know to extra time at the very end they scored I was like all right that's it so as soon as Spain scored I was all like mm, I seen I seen Spain play I seen Brazil play I, I think that Spain can pull it off but it just depends on what kind of stuff of playing they like play style they bring to this final. Are they going to be very defensive, you know, kind of just wait on the counters, wait for the their opponents to come out them first? Or is it going to be like how Brazil started this game against Mexico, where uh, Paulinho and everyone, they were crossing really, um, really well, getting open, and they had a couple of chances. They were just confusing the Mexican defenders. If they come out like that, I don't know how, uh, how Spain's going to respond if... Um, if they both come out defensive, I, I see that Spain would come out. And um, th- this game also took a lot of both teams. They both went an extra time, but I think Spain can do it. It would probably one goal, I don't know, maybe like a 2-1 or 1-0, because I can't see it being anything higher than that. They've both been really well defensively. Rico, who do you have winning the gold medal match, Brazil or Spain? Brazil. But that's purely due to my bias since they've been my favorite team since '94. Uh, I will say this though, to Spain's credit, uh, they are, this team is looking pretty solid, uh, definitely with Marco Asensio's, uh, redemption in this particular case, he does need to give a little bit more if he's also to be like, I like, like Owen said, he's not a starter. I wouldn't put him as a starter, but I definitely with this, with this type of performance and he keeps going, he's definitely put himself in consideration where, okay, now look at me. I deserve to be here. Now it's more like, uh, okay, well, what do we do with you then? Uh, Pedri, doing dope uh, so far. Uh, uh, I'm loving the way that he's playing. I just feel like they should try to find a way. If if, if Spain is to beat Brazil, uh, I don't know. I'm not, for me, I, I feel like they should have both of them on the field at the same time, not be one sub for the other. Uh, uh, like like Angel said, but I am surprised that they beat Japan at all. Japan was looking super solid. What I love about Japan, very sportsmanlike. Even their subs, I know that we didn't get to see them in this game, but their subs are actually pretty good. Uh, I do like uh, Osako. He's the goalie for Hiroshima out in Japan. Um, I don't I don't follow the, the league you know religiously or anything, but I do know that he's like a very solid, very well known, good goalkeeper. So it it's kind of a shame that you didn't get to see his flair. Uh, likewise, likewise with uh, Ayum Moseko, he's actually a really dope defender. I'm I'm kind of mad that I didn't use him, but <clears throat> uh, at the end of the day, Spain got it done. If they if they play like that against Brazil, I feel like it'll end up in PKs, and in PKs is kind of a toss up. Anything kind of goes, especially with the players that they would have strike for Brazil and the players that they have strike for Spain uh, in PKs. So. For me, though, I'm just going to say Brazil because of my bias. But it, it's going to be a close game. So Mexico plays Japan in the bronze medal game. 
who do you have winning that match, Owen? I think Mexico. I think they'll learn the lessons from the uh, group stage match that the two teams played. I think Mexico were caught out a little bit in that game. First 10, 15 minutes, they started really poorly. They couldn't deal with Japan's speed and um, movement and attack with, with Kubo and Doan in particular, causing them a lot of problems. I think they'll be ready for that this time. I think they'll get on the ball a little bit more. I think that was the real, that was the real issue. Um, they, they weren't able to, to get control of the game through possession. Um, and I think they'll be able to wrestle control of the match. I think if you look at the, the group stage match between the two teams, Mexico goes down to 10. They're down two goals and they go down to 10 midway through the second half. Just one had definitely been superior up to that point. Um, and then Mexico actually played their best, their best period in that match was after they'd gone down to 10. It was from, I think the 67th minute was when the sending off happened. Um, that's when they played their best. Um, a lot, with a lot of set pieces, good deliveries from Alvarado who came on and looked great. And Tuna was also a factor coming on off the bench in that match. Um, but I think that shows that if Mexico can do that with 10, you know, it was it was a match where you were like, okay, if this, if this gets played another five or 10 minutes, I think Mexico might find an equalizer. Laronia has a header that's saved, I think, in the 92nd minute, again, off another set piece. Um, I think Mexico, they they might not be the superior side, but I think um, there's, there's talent there certainly to be able to beat this Japan team. All right, so let's talk some Syria with Owen. Owen, you do some uh, blogging for... Uh, who is it? Roma? Did I, is that what I saw? Yeah. For, for Football Italia, yeah. Roma focused, but I've, I've written a bunch of pieces on, on Serie A more generally, and I, I keep an eye on what's happening in the league more broadly as well, in addition to, to what's happening with Roma. So, Owen, we're both Arsenal fans, and we just saw that uh, Thomas Partey just went down, and he's going to be out for a couple, for for a little bit. Uh, there's a certain player called Locatelli that's on the market right now. He really wants to go to Juve, but Juve does not want to fork over the money for him. Arsenal's sitting there. They're ready to throw the 40 mil for him, but he is sitting there waiting for Juve. What is taking Juve so long to complete this deal? I think they know that the player wants to go there and that there are no offers coming in from other clubs that could rival them in terms of turning Locatelli's head, right? The interest from Arsenal is known, the offer is there, and Locatelli prefers Juve, right? And so I think that's, they're, they're comfortable knowing that they're, it, it, not even a situation they're the front runner, they, they're the runner in the race for him right now. Um, and I think that's that's playing a factor also, I think, if you look at what's been happening in the transfer market in Serie A this, um, this offseason more broadly, coaching carousel is at full blast, right? It's historic, the amount of coaches that have been coming and going from the different teams. But in terms of in and outs um, with players, big transfers, um, certainly big incoming transfers, um, there have been hardly any. Um, the pandemic has hit 
clubs around Europe, around the world hard, but I think in Italy it's being it's being felt particularly acutely because there was already difficulties for a lot of those clubs. If you look the last the last certainly last five or six years, let's say, um, a lot of Italian teams now for their bigger transfers, they've started using um, this strategy or this um, agreement where they'll they'll take the player on loan for a year and then they'll pay the transfer fee a year later, right? Because they just don't have the money to pay up front for that player that they want. Um, and so you then add that into the pandemic, there are basically no, no big signings happening. Even a Juve doesn't really have the money to go to go splashing out and paying 40 million up front for Locatelli. Um, the, the Ronaldo signing, I think plays a big factor in that, right? The, the salary they they're paying him and also then signing other players around him, you know, trying to build out that team to win a champions league, which hasn't worked out for them, but they have a lot of money tied up in salary. Um, and they don't, they don't have as much wiggle room maybe as they used to, even though, you know, you, you say Juve, you're thinking the most powerful team in Italy historically and, and the most, one of the most, if not the most powerfully or powerful financially. Do you think that Arsenal actually have a shot at uh, Loreto Martinez from Inter? I think it, it depends on if the player wants to go or not, right? He's, he's been in Italy for a while. He's, you know, after, after leaving Argentina, um, he's been in Italy for the last three, four years now, right? So he's settled, he's settled at Inter. Um, with that being said, they're going through financial problems into very, very heavily right now. Um, they've already had to sell out Trafakimi to PSG for, for 60 million. That's been the biggest outgoing transfer in Serie A so far. Um, and they, they probably need more money, right? They got rid of Con the reason Conte left was because of this, this realization or this, this disagreement that there was recognizing that Inter were going to have to go in a different direction, have to be a little more austere and not be able to uh, get Conte the players that he wanted to continue to strengthen the side. Um, and so I think if Arsenal came in with an offer, would Inter accept it? I think they'd be willing to listen, right? They, they've rejected a bit, according to Fabrizio Romano, for Lukaku from Chelsea for 100 million euros plus Marco Salonso, apparently, right? So they want to they want to keep Lukaku, and I believe Lukaku said he wants to stay as well. Um, so Lautaro potentially, if you're looking at okay, who's who's the next most valuable player in that Inter squad? Who could command the second highest fee after Lukaku? I think it would it would be Lautaro. So I think Inter would be willing to listen. Arsenal also have Bellerin, who's a player that Inter have been looking at right throughout the summer mm -hmm. that you could offer as a partial make weight in that deal. Um, I think the big question is, would Lautaro want to go to an Arsenal that that finished outside the Champions League again, finished outside of Europe, right? And you know, are on a downward trend certainly the last few years, right? It's not looking like they're on the the cusp of of qualifying for the Champions League next season. I don't think necessarily his signing would his signing would be a big a big deal for Arsenal. It would be it would be a statement signing, but I don't think it necessarily makes them one of the favorites to qualify for the Champions League next season, right? So he, you know, he'd have to come um, to London 
recognizing that, right? That he's leading a team that's in the Champions League right now for a team that is not in the Champions League right now and and isn't necessarily likely to be in the Champions League the season after this either. God, please get this signing done. This is like this is like Alexis all over again. We need this guy. The PSG, the PSG acquisition for what sixty million though. Do you think that was actually worth it for PSG and for? I think we'll see. PSG have PSG have the money to spend. Certainly, right? I think yeah. he's proven himself at Dortmund and now at Inter to be perhaps the best right back in the world, right wing back in the world. So I think if you're PSG, you're trying to win the Champions League. You need to buy the if you have the financial means, you Try. need to buy the best, right? And it's yeah. an arms race. Um, at that very, very top level, that that upper echelon in the Champions League, between yeah. a few a few teams that you've got Chelsea, you've got Man City, um, you've got Barcelona and Real Madrid who are who are in that tier. Bayern Munich as well, um, Juve too. There are other teams there, but the only three that really have any money to throw around right now are City, Chelsea, and and uh, PSG. And PSG are trying to to break into um, that kind of elite group by winning a Champions League, right? And right. I think signings they've made this summer show that, right? Not only Hakeem, they've also got Donnarumma um, on a free from Milan, right? That's an improvement, I think, on, on Kaylor Navas. They brought in, we know them, they brought in Sergio Ramos, bringing in really big-name experienced players, right? They're, they don't want to wait around. They want to win the Champions League this year. One hundred percent. You know the, the the Hakimi signing. All those other signings, I believe, were on free transfers, right? I mean, the salary that those players are are receiving, I'm sure, are, are stratospheric, right? But yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean, oh wow, PSG, they're gaming the market, they're they're saving themselves a lot of money in a transfer fee, sure, right? But that with with those type of signings for clubs. That's one of the reasons why players love running, you know, or tr sometimes try to run down their deals um, because it makes them more, um, you know, more appetizing to buying clubs. And it also means they'll probably get a bigger salary. Right. Um, but so PSG have done PSG have made all those moves um, with with the Champions League in mind with winning this this Champions League. For sure. But if you guys get that player, I feel like that'll it'll come down to I don't know about you guys. I mean Arsenal. If you guys get him, I feel like it'll come down to are you willing to give more and more, and at what point is your threshold just to get him to play for you guys? Well, I think something that something that's interesting. I think with Arsenal, if you look at the arc of the Kroenke regime, right? And you're talking mm -hmm. about spending. Kroenke takes over the team in 2011. And Arsenal, at that point, had been finishing fourth, five, six years in a row, right? That was that was their level at that point. Wenger's in charge. They're still considered an an elite club, right? They're they're qualifying for the Champions League every year. Um, at that point, it had been eleven or twelve years in a row, and they bought, you know, they they'd spent a lot on the new stadium, right? And the, you know, there were. There were still kind of strictures from that, right? But I think there was a point where the team was good enough where with a couple of big signings, if Kroenke had pushed the boat out a little bit, for example, you you were talking, um, Nate, about 
the Alexis Sanchez signing. The season after, so I believe it, the summer of 2015, right? You've got Alexis, you have Ozil together, right? That team going forward was was great, was good enough to win the Premier League, right? Withdrew at center forward. What that team was really missing was a, a top-class defensive midfielder. They had a good center-back partnership in Kachelny and and Murtisacker. They brought in Czech that summer on a free from Chelsea. They don't spend on that defensive midfield player. Kroenke, Kroenke didn't, they didn't spend a lot of money for, for a while under Kroenke. Certainly when they were riding that that wave of getting that, that Champions League income, when I think if Kroenke had pushed the boat out and spent a little bit of his own money, I think Arsenal could have won a Premier League title or two. Um, they finished second the year that Leicester win the Premier League, right? And Leicester won it with, I don't know the exact point total, but it was low 80s, right? They don't, they don't, they, they run away with it because Arsenal finished, I think, more than 10 points behind them. But that was Arsenal's title to win, right? And then now that they've been out of the Champions League for a few seasons, he's been trying to speculate to accumulate, right? He's, he's been spending money now, um, hoping that it will be able to get them back into the Champions League, right, for the next season. And a lot of those buys, it's, it's just been haphazard. Right, they've had multiple sporting directors in a few years, um, different coaches, different ideologies. You know, at boardroom level, you know there have been the inexperience. You look at even now with with eighty one Arteta, and then you've got Vinay. I I I don't want to try to pronounce his last name, but he's the he's the main guy now at at board level, or certainly that, that liaison, he doesn't have a lot of experience either in that role. Um, I think Arsenal are just, have just been mismanaged by the Cronkies, right? And I think the Cronkies now are realizing though, with all these years of now not qualifying for the Champions League, Arsenal are, are losing that prestige that they have, right? And I think the value of the club is decreasing probably, right? If the Cronkies want to protect their investment, they need to get Arsenal back in the Champions League sooner or later, right? And you're probably not going to do that. You're not going to do that with the current squad in all likelihood, right? Right. So you need, you know, if you, maybe if you brought in a super coach, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. If you bring, if you manage to lure Klopp or, or someone of that nature, Susan. right? But you, you know, if you if you get an absolute bullseye with your with your coaching hire, I think Arteta. I don't think Arteta is necessarily a bad coach, but I don't think he's he's that type of coach right right this moment. So what do you need to do? You need to you need to spend in the market. You need to buy players. You need to buy smartly. And yeah. so he's been. They've been spending the last few summers. That has been the problem. They just haven't bought smart. That's that's the real issue. It's. It's not whether or not they'd spend the money on Love Tower. I wouldn't be surprised if they do make a real offer. I think they've shown they've shown with um, willing to you know the willingness to fork out forty million for Locatelli that they they will spend the money. It's just a question of whether or not they're spending it on the right type of players on the right type of fit, right? I think that's something like with with Pepe, for example. He just didn't fit into the front line that they currently have there, right? He's your club record signing and you're not the front line isn't built to maximize his talents or to, to accentuate his ability because I think 
you know, that, that right there, that's, that's indicative of the, of the problem, of the problem. And I think hopefully it's getting fixed now, with, you know, with this Arteta ADU partnership, but I think the jury, the jury's still out. I think as an Arsenal fan, I have my doubts still until I, I'm, I'm going to not believe it until I see it right. Until I really see a team that's, that's, you know, until I see them qualifying for the Champions League again, I'm I'm pessimistic. Yep. Get the Madison signing done because we're not going to get Odegaard because Tony Cruz just got hurt, so Odegaard's going to be staying there. Um, we need the attacking mid. That's the one thing that we have mm-hmm. been lacking. I think we would have had a better season last year if we would have had that attacking mid in that run where we just look like dog poop from, what was it, the beginning of October to December. And we could have been so much more, be- so much better. And I think that we're seeing, we're seeing Saka, we're seeing uh, Smith Rowe, we're seeing uh, Martinelli. We have talent. We just need somebody to help them. To push them. All right, Angel, give me your taco shop. All right, so I was at uh, a little while ago. Canelo Alvarez made an official bid to buy Chivas from the Vergara family. He offered three hundred million dollars, and the club is valued at around three hundred and. $11 million, according to Forbes. Um, I, I'm a Chivas fan myself, and I've seen that, uh, like the effect that Vergara trying to come to the MLS and other projects he had in mind kind of took away from him investing in Chivas, and they, did, they didn't do so well for a long time. And after he passed away, his son inherited the team, but I don't think his son really knows what he's doing. His dad screwed up with uh, Chivas USA really bad. So I think for us fans, we would um, we would really enjoy seeing a new ownership. And Canelo Alvarez is a big Chivas fan. I think if he were to, you know, make it a, another offer that's more than the team is valued, the Vergara's might sell and him be, uh, Alvarez being an owner might bring in other you know fans of the team and um, maybe they can help bring in new players uh, we know that they struggle because they only sign Mexican players so maybe if there's like an ownership where there's celebrities it might help attract some of these Mexican uh, upcoming stars to go join Chivas and I just hope it happens because I've never really been a fan of the Vergara's and the way they were running it at the end. But that's just my opinion. Just wanted to bring that up. Let, let me ask you though, real quick, because this is the first I'm hearing of it. If it, did, did did Alvarez say or comment to any changes, any actual changes that he'd make under his like reign, rule, administration, like for for owning the club? Like, what's what's going to change with him with him being 
a now a much more richer individual from owning the club than he already is at his mega boxing status. Like, is he going to do anything with Chivas that's actually going to be meaningful in, in, in their in their future? Uh, or is all, everything you're saying with, you know, getting these, these celebrity, these upcoming rising stars, uh, Mexican players that keep them, that give them more of a, of a, of a, more of a sense of patriotism to play in, in-house than go abroad? Well, I think that it's similar. I don't know if Nate and Owen will agree with me. It's similar to the Kroenke thing where it's, the Vergara's treated it more like a business. They, they, they claimed they were fans, but they were really after the money. And I think new ownership of uh, actual fans might change the atmosphere. The celebrity part will probably keep uh, have some players come and uh, stay in Mexico. But they have that gentleman's agreement where they kind of force their players to stay in Mexico. So I don't know if that would really make a difference. I just don't like the way the Vergara's have been running it and the way they keep firing coaches. Like, they don't give them a chance. Like, you can't expect the coach to turn the team around in a year, two years. Like, when you're bottom, with like bottom of the table, you can't change everything. And they don't know how to manage it how I would consider would be the best way. That's just my opinion. And that's why I would want someone that's actually a fan to go in there and kind of change change the mindset of, oh, this is my team. I love this team growing up rather than, oh, this is the, the business that my dad gave to me. Mm. I think the big problem for Chief Oss, no matter who the owner is though, um, is the lack of academy players who are really shining for them, I think that's the issue. You look, you know, historically, what do you think of when you think of Chivas versus what do you think of when you think of America, right? Um, to compare the, those the two rivals, right? Um, you, you think of America, big, flashy, um, expensive international signings, right? When you think of Chivas, you think obviously all Mexicans, a lot of players that you brought through the academy who then end up being stars um, with the first team, right? And that's how you sustain yourself. That's how you remain competitive. The, um, the, the, the tables have turned in that sense. I mean, America now over the last decade or so, they're the team that are bringing through Academy products and exporting them to Europe. Chivas, since, since Chicharito, that was the last big example of that happening for them, right? I think, you know, the, the market is so inflated in Mexico for Mexican players, right? Moving between teams. So it's hard for Chivas, especially now, again, with the pandemic, you know, there, there's this um, there's this whole topic with Amari coming out and saying, buy shirts if you want signings, right? Buy, buy shirts, we need you to spend, we need you to pay for, you know, as many shirts as you can, right? As many, as many jerseys. Um, the, the capital just isn't there to go invest in, you know, Say you want, okay, you're thinking, okay, who are the best Mexican players in the Liga Max right now? If you want to go pay, you know, let's say, what would Cruz Azul quote you for Luis Romo? Probably at least $10 million, if not higher than that, 15. Chivas for don't a have three? A for who? For like a three? For a three year, for a four year, what are you thinking for $10 million? Oh, for no, no, deal. just a transfer. Oh, transfer. Just a transfer. Okay. I'm talking okay. transfer fee. Like what Cruz Azul would be, would be asking you. Um, okay. Chivas don't have that type of money, right? So, 
you need to be leaning on your academy and the players aren't coming out of the academy at the rate that they need them to, right? I mean, obviously that's, you know, that's a hit and miss um, exercise, a lot more misses than hits. And once the academy has kind of been, you know, um, you know, kind of been an afterthought for a little bit of, of time, it's hard to build that back up. But I think that's that's gotta be the focus. Um, you know, if you hear them talking, that that is a, a big focus, right? Um, right. But you need to if you're if you're Chivas and you want to really be successful and can and be contending on a consistent basis, which they haven't in a long time. You know, they've won a few. They won a couple of league titles. Um, you know, they win one in 2006. A decade later, 11 years later, they win one in 2017. Right now, the last few years haven't been to a final. A lot of those seasons, they haven't even been making the playoffs. Right, some some really bad seasons in there since that last title. Um, for them to be a consistent contender, a consistent um, league qualifier, they need to be um, producing a lot of their own players, right? And they're they're bringing players up, sure, but that's that's not resulting in a successful team. I think that's the big problem for them. So, really quick though, I just got a quick question for you. Do you think that the Mexican only policy uh, at Chivas is has, proves to be more of a challenge in these re- in these recent years? as it has been historically, or do you think it's less of a challenge now? I think it's got it's got its positives and it's got its negatives. Chivas is is one of the two most popular, if not the most popular club in Mexico, precisely because they have this Mexican only policy, right? And right. they generate a lot of, they they did a big deal with uh with Telemundo in Telemundo NBC in in the United States. Again because Chivas has the name, because Chivas is a is a big deal both in Mexico and in the United States, right? Um, right. So it, it presents opportunities, right? But in terms of the market, working the market, teams quote you a higher price because they know you can only buy Mexicans, right? It's much harder for them in the market. Um, right. Again, like I was saying, I mean, the market for Mexicans moving from club to club in Liga MX is already really inflated. Look at Rodolfo Pizarro when he go. I think he still has the two highest transfer fees in Liga MX history, right? Going from Pachuca to Chivas and then Chivas to Monterrey, right? So that's a difficult market to operate in, um, right? And they've, you know, they've made their pitches to the European base players who have come back. You know, they they tried to get Hector Moreno didn't didn't work out. I'm sure that you know. I'm sure they're they're in touch with those you know a Chicharito, for example, um, you know when he came back to to the Galaxy, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, I'm not exactly sure what you know what if any contact was made, but those are the type of players you're you're trying to go after, right? Um, the the pool isn't that big, right? Of players that you can you can be going after, and that's that's what really hurts them. Right now, they don't have the money to to sign a lot of those players. And then you're left, you're left paying relatively uh, big fees on players who, who maybe don't deserve that, that type of fee, who don't, who don't end up working out. You know, all this talk about in the last couple of years with Pelias, who's spent $50 million on a lot of play, you know, a, uh, like a, dip, a, a group of players, a, a small group of players 
most of whom haven't haven't worked out, haven't produced what was expected of them. Um, it's it's difficult um, to be the sporting director of Chivas, I think. Jeff, sure. that's not, not not an easy job. All right, so let's get into final thoughts. Angel, give me your final thoughts. My final thought is that Arsenal won't make it to the Champions League next year again. (laughs) (laughs) It's just with Chelsea and Man City being two of the only teams that have money, you know it's going to be one of them. And Harry Kane possibly leaving to Man City, I feel like almost guarantees them the title. But... It, it's uh, like a lot of what Owen said, where it, it COVID really affected Arsenal when they were barely starting to get better. I feel they'll probably get like fifth place, you know, sixth place, but it will be really close. All right, Rico, give me your final thoughts. Uh, just Harry Kane, bro. I really think that he should stay put. I don't. I don't really see. I do like I do like Manchester City in the Prem, so like I I, I root for them in the Prem, as you guys know. I, I don't see. I mean, obviously, man, he's a scorer. He does his thing. He he he's a. He, he he is. I would consider him world class. I know he's not given like the the greatest of his performance in these recent months, but uh, I I don't think that he actually would fit in with Manchester City's. Uh, system at all I, I just can't see it i can't see him in a blue so you know keep him at keep him at spurs let let him be your rival with you guys in arsenal over there i don't know no, that's just me that's final thought on me owen i think going back to what we were talking about at the beginning finishing up on mexico i think there's certainly a lot of doom and gloom and and perhaps understandably so from fans after losing the two finals, but I don't think um, it's time to necessarily push the panic button just yet. I think certainly the Gold Cup final, there were, there were mitigating circumstances. Um, I don't think they, that necessarily means that, that Mexico shouldn't be receiving criticism. Um, but I think you have to take into account that there are some players away at the Olympics, and I think those players will be able, you know, there are players who are who are looking really good at the Olympics who weren't necessarily in the in the real picture with the senior squad, right? That I think now we'll we'll start getting a look or at least a chance to to be on the bench in big matches and, and potentially come on and make a difference. Someone like Alexis Vega, for example, I think you could see someone like Cesar Montez um, at the back come in and be a starter um, for the, the full national team. I think it's, it, even though the senior side has struggled this summer, I think, the Olympic team has shown that there there are players coming through. Um, there is that um, new crop of players that that look promising, and I think at the end of the day, what Tata was brought in for was was to make the Quinto Partido, right? I think that that was he wasn't hired to win the Gold Cup or the Nations League. So I think if he does well in World Cup qualifiers, I think all will be forgotten. I, I think this summer will will end up being a blip on the radar screen. Certainly, if he ends up um, achieving that aim of of reaching a quarterfinal at the World Cup, right? Um, I think the the real issue what what this summer presents, in addition to the problems on on the field that need to be fixed, is that it just really turned up the pressure on him, right? And that's a that's a more difficult environment to work in. 
as a coach. I think that's that's problematic. That's something that's going to have to be dealt with. All right, I'm going to go a different route, and I'm going to say congratulations to Team Canada on beating the U.S. women's national team. And even go a little farther, they didn't even go and rub it in their faces after the game. They were out there consoling the sad, crying U.S. women out there. And that that just shows great sportsmanship for Canada. And I think that it's we're starting to see the... Um, the out with the old and here come the new. I mean, the we're gonna see a new reign of the U.S. players for the women. It was a great a great showing for these ladies for the U.S. I think that they should have done better. I think there should be no reason why they should not have been in the gold medal um, match. Instead, now they're gonna be playing Australia for the bronze. And if you're going to keep the standard for the women, this is underachieving and it's not good enough. And you had the talent out there. I don't know so much if it was the talent, but I think it might have been down to the coaching. I don't think their coach was the right coach to be there right now. So we're going to call it an episode and I want to say thank you very much, Owen, for joining us. There you go. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Really great to be here. I feel honored that that you brought me in for the 90th episode, milestone episode, first in this this series of, of bringing guests on. So really happy that you guys invited me and, and really enjoyed. Ladies and gentlemen, go follow this guy. You should see the clips that he puts out for um, – the League of Mex players, when they're out there doing their thing, he has some awesome music, the tracks to go with it, everything. So go follow this guy. Um, his analysis during the games when you're watching are, are spot on. And that's how I found him. Like I, I, I started following him because of his analysis, and I messaged him, and I was like, hey, I want you on here. He's like, all right, cool. Let's do it. And so... Be sure to be following us on our Instagram and Twitter because I will put out, when I get the the mock of the jersey for our 100th episode, it's going to be nasty. It's going to be nice. You guys will like it. I guarantee it. So the pre-order will be out there. Uh, Rico. Nah, man, I just wanted to thank again uh, Big O for coming on, bro. Why don't you tell the, our listeners, man, where they can find you? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm on Twitter at 4KicksBlog, so at F-O-R-KicksBlog. That's right. There you go, go, guys. Go follow him. So next week, we have Lindsey Rojas and the Rebellion 99, the champions of... Our Supporter Scarf contest will be on with us. And they're going to be laying it down on what they got going on for the um, Angel City FC. Um, They're going to talk about those new colors, all the activities that they got going on. And the charities, they just had a 5v5 tournament. They got some things going on over there in LA. And I'm excited to have them come on. So, we will see you next Tuesday night. So tell your friends and tell your family. See ya.
All right, guys. That's awesome. That's a good show. Great. Nice. Yep.